Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. So now it does me great pleasure to formally introduce today's guest co-host, Erica Shaw. You all are familiar, if you've been joining us, that we like to read our guest co-host bio to share their accolades, their credentials, because it's important for y'all to know how these individuals are showing up to this conversation and what they can contribute. And so once I read Erica's bio, I then will spotlight her, give her a chance to greet this audience in her own way. And so I hope that you will at that time join me in welcoming her either through those emojis in the chat through your 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 marks of of appreciation for her being here into the chat but y'all know how we do it here Okay, Erica Shaw is the CEO of Shaw Solutions LLC, a coaching and consulting firm that focuses on leadership development and creating inclusive workplaces. Erica is a Maxwell Leadership Certified Executive Coach, Trainer, and Speaker. In her coaching program, she helps ambitious women position themselves to have the career and life of their dreams. She is also a Certified DISC Behavior Analysis Trainer and incorporates how even work style can be a source of bias in the workplace. Mm, can't wait to unpack that. That's so true. Whether it's training on leadership development, building connection, or equality and inclusive efforts, Erica is a dynamic leader that partners with individuals and organizations to achieve their leadership potential and feel comfortable being their authentic selves, a gift that all of us want to be able to receive time and time again, showing up very authentic. Erica Shaw has over 20 years of experience in corporate America, working for a Fortune 50 company, multiple disciplines, including engineering, manufacturing, supply chain, and HR. Throughout her tenure, she has consistently led equality and inclusion efforts, including affinity network leadership, recruiting, mentorship programs, and multiple E&I leader positions. She recently received an Inspirational Leader Award for her development and implementation for an E&I strategy for an organization of 700 plus employees across the U.S. She focuses on developing an E&I strategy that encompasses both individual and interactive learning clear accountability, and heart-changing storytelling. Her focus on unconscious bias catapults the understanding and cultural transformation throughout the organization. Erica received her Bachelor's of Science in Engineering and Electrical Engineering at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, Michigan. She's currently located in Cincinnati, Ohio, with her husband and two children. Erica is a proud member of my sorority. Hey, Sora, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. And do me a favor and let's go to the chat, pull those emojis out in whatever way that feels comfortable for you. Let's let Erica know how grateful we are to have her here. I'm going to spotlight her so that you all can see her beautiful face. We're so honored. Erica, thank you so much for being here. How are you? I am doing amazing. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you, Nika. I am too. I am too. I think that we're going to definitely be the beneficiaries of this, this window of time that we can spend together today. So Erica, I read your bio. I read all of your accolades, all of your credentials. One of my questions that I always like to start with to help us get a little bit deeper into knowing our guest co-host is to ask, what will people not know about you from reading your bio or your LinkedIn profile that you wish to share with this audience? Help us to get to know Erica a little bit better. Well, one thing you should definitely know about me is I am a girl from Detroit, Michigan, 
And that will always be part of me. And so when I think about the strength and the um, determination of the people of Detroit, that is something that definitely runs through my blood. And so that for sure is one thing um, that folks should know about me because it will always come out. The other thing that I would say is um, that we were talking about a little bit earlier is that I am also the proud owner of Beyonce tickets. So that is... That is something that I am very, you know, happy and proud to say. I am a member of the Beehive and I will be going to see her on this tour. So I love it. I love it. Okay. So sidebar, we are going to get to the nitty gritty, but y'all, this is important sidebar. So we, I have a colleague, I will not say her name, but if she chooses to disclose who she is in the chat, then so be it. But she is like the biggest Beyonce fan that I have ever met. And I'm feeling for her right now. I'm feeling for you. I really am because she has been waitlisted a couple different times. She does not have her tickets. <laughs> and me, you know, I mean, I love Bay. No, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go see her, but I scored tickets. And so I'm feeling so bad right now. I'm like, how do I have tickets? She does not, but I'll tell you why I have tickets. I have tickets, Erica, because my daughter is in grad school in London. And I don't know why, what it is about London, but uh, Bay is doing like several different shows in London. And so, and they have a different way of how in which you can get your tickets. You can just go mm -hmm. and get your tickets online. Whereas here, it's like a couple different steps, right? So mm -hmm. long story short, and I'll close this sidebar out. I have tickets to see Bay in London with baby girl, my daughter. I'm really looking forward to that. But my heart is really with my colleague who is waiting to get her tickets secured. And I hope it maybe, happens really soon. Maybe somebody on here <laughs> donates some. We'll, we'll, you know, you never know. I know, wouldn't that be great? But anyway, that is, that is a great sidebar. So so, so you are a member of Bayhive. So fantastic. Okay, so now let's get down to business. It's good to know some of those little side tidbits about our guest co-host. Um, so give us your journey and your story. How did you get involved in DEI work? And, and what are some of the unique ways in which you like to show up to this, this body of work? Yeah, so I definitely, I think, you know, I first got started in DEI work was, you know, when I entered corporate America, you know, so I think back to when I was in college and of course, there's a fire engine, you know, going by right now. Uh, but when I was working, when I was in college, one of the things that I really remember is, you know, professionals coming and connecting with the affinity groups there on campus and opening up my mind to what different possibilities could be for careers and things like that. So when I was sitting in the meetings for the National Society of Black Engineers and having people come and say, oh, these are all the things that you can do, this is the impact that you could have. I knew that I wanted to stay connected um, to that kind of work. And so when I started, um, you know, full time, there were affinity teams that were there, you know, to support me um, so that I could have real conversations because, you know, not, not knowing really what it felt like to be the only one in the room, especially when you're coming from Detroit, Michigan, you know, you're used to being surrounded by people that look like you. And so I very quickly got involved with things like recruiting, affinity team um, leadership, um, supporting mentorship programs and things like that, because I know like the impact that it can have, um, because, you know, it had a big impact on me. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. 
Um, and, and by the way, you've mentioned Detroit a couple of times today so far. We're only like 13 minutes in, but you're, you're getting some love about Detroit into the chat. So th there's some people here that are like, yep, mm -hmm, I'm right. <laughs> I'm right there with you, Erica. So why do you think that multicultural talent needs to be successful in the workplace? I mean, first, let's start with, do you believe that there's a gap there in terms of the ability for multicultural talent to have all of the things available to them to be successful? And then for those organizations that's not intentional about creating those opportunities, what would you say to them? Yeah, so a couple of things. And I'll, the main thing is, it isn't like multicultural talent needs something that is significantly different from everyone else, right? The problem is they don't always get it. And so if I was to just think about three things that multicultural talent needs, one, they need a great relationship with their manager. Two, they need to have community. And three, they need to have clear and transparent conversations about career possibilities. And those are things that everyone needs, but there is often a gap between that happening um, for multicultural talent. And sometimes it can link to, you know, people want to connect with people that are similar to them, and that may not happen all the time. Um, and so there's definitely a gap. I mean, if you look at the representation numbers across, you know, large organizations, a lot of times um, there is a gap for multicultural talent and especially multicultural women. And so looking deeper into the data to not just look at, you know, an overall number, but specifically what are your targets for all of the different areas? And so if I go back to those things that we need, the relationship with the manager, having someone that is invested in the development of you as an individual um, and making sure that you are in a place where you can contribute at the highest level. And then the community piece, you know, I talked about that a little bit earlier about affinity teams and, you know, having a safe place um, where you can get support and get help get your needs met, as well as having people that advocate for you, you know, when you're not in the room. And then the last one is about career possibilities. You know, being able to work in a place where you can see someone that looks like you at the higher levels shows you that there is a path for you to, you know, grow in a company, which is so important. And so when you start looking at things like building a pipeline um, of talent and um, all of those different things and being really transparent about what are the opportunities for you, because a lot of times what we find is people aren't having real conversations about, you know, what is really possible for an individual. You know, I love Brene Brown. She says, you know, clear is kind. You know, we need to be able to have clear, transparent conversations about what career possibilities could be for a person. And so, you know, feedback around, you know, strength, opportunity areas, because a lot of times people will shy away from that because, you know, they are sometimes just afraid to be able yeah. to have those real conversations. But, you know, we all need that same kind of development and coaching. I am with Brene Brown and that clarity is definitely kind, clear is kind, and, and we do need that from people leaders. Um, but we also need for people leaders to be willing to create an environment where the, those that fall under their direct report who are looking to them to help create that career pathing trajectory um, so that they can feel safe to be clear about what their needs are and what they want out of their career. I think that that's a, a two-way street and it certainly requires an environment that's conducive for people being able to socialize around 
what, what's coming up for them. Um, you mentioned community. I, I think that's so important. No one gets to where they are on their own. You know, we're not meant to be in isolation just as a, as a people in general. We're meant to have those that can connect with us, support us. Um, on our journey and also celebrate us when things are and things Absolutely. are going well. And so I love how you have placed all of those really important attributes on the responsibility of managers and leaders, because that is precisely what's going to help create that that pathway of success for multicultural talent. Um, so you have spent 20 plus years, of course, in corporate America across numerous disciplines, as I shared in your bio. Maybe summarize the top three lessons that, you know, during that that tenure of time has taught you that continues to influence your work today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, one of the things that I had mentioned is, you know, having um, realized and what it's like to be the only one in the room. You know, so I started when I started my career, I was an electrical engineer in Green Bay, Wisconsin. OK, um, and so in the community, outside community, there weren't a lot of people that looked like me. Um, and then, you know, in the workplace, there weren't a lot of people that, you know, looked like me. And so being in that place um, really for the first time made me realize like how important DEI work is. Yeah. Because, you know, there's one thing for, you know, an organization to bring people in that are just different, but it's different. It's a different thing than having your voice heard um, and being able to have an impact and having the, you know, right positions and things that will help you grow. And a lot of that comes with having, you know, mentors and sponsors and advocacy, you know, for those individuals. And a lot of times that came for me from other women. And so that is a lot of where all of my energy birthed from are those experiences that I had very early in my career and, you know, seeing the support and things that people gave to me because it doesn't happen by accident. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of times people think that, you know, we can just hire people and things will all be well, but it you really need a very clear, um, strategic, um, intentional plan about wow. how you are going to, you know, bring in and grow talent um, so that they can get into the positions where they are having the impact, they are making the decisions um, as well. So I think that is, you know, one of the reasons that I really started on this journey, as well as creating a place with my coaching um, program, a safe place for women, you know, to mm -hmm. have real conversations so that they can have, uh, talk about what their dreams are and their aspirations are, because, you know, everyone doesn't have a place where they have mentors and coaches mm -hmm. to help um, support them and be a thought partner for how they can achieve your, their dreams. And so one of the things I wanted to do is provide that kind of place for women as well. Mm. No, I love that. Um, so I want to I want to make sure that we level set a little bit, because sometimes when we talk about coaching and mentoring, you know, they can be used interchangeably. And while I think that there is some interconnectivity, there's also some very specific distinctions. And so I'm just interested in your perspective on how do you define the two? And um, what are some of the unique ways in which you like to build and cultivate those coaching relationships that you find yourself in? Mm -hmm. Yep. So first, I'll talk a little bit about mentoring. So mentoring is really something I think about in a, 
Um, I've been on a path and let me show you the steps that I took on that path. Mm -hmm. Um, And looking back, you know, how do you reach your hand back and help that person that's coming up behind you? Mm -hmm. And it also should be a really safe relationship where you can have open conversations about what's really, really going on. And a lot of times these people are not people that we work directly with in our organization just for that reason. Um, So you don't necessarily have like that conflict of interest or someone outside of work, you know, that again, it's, you know, they have something, you know, that they can directly coach you on based on their um, or mentor you on based on their experience. Whereas coaching, a lot of times it is helping people bring out the answers that they already have inside of them. Mm Mm-hmm. And so how do we, you know, partner with someone to get them to think different, get past their limiting beliefs and, you know, be a thought partner with them to form strategies to go after whatever it is that they're trying to achieve. And so um, a lot of times it is getting people to just open up their mind and see possibilities for themselves. Um, it is not a Uh, you know, you have a session and I'm going to tell you to go do these, you know, go do these five things Um, because we really want you to be a partner in creating that plan um, and things for yourself. I love that you talked about the partnership that shared accountability is is critical. Mm -hmm. You know, I know that the mindset of some individuals is that if I align myself with the coach, they're going to have all the answers. They're going to, you know, create all the things that I need. Right. And it's, and, and the whole world's just going to be all, all well, right. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely a shared accountability. And so it, I, I would imagine that it requires a certain mindset that people need to, to have in order for them to fully be able to optimize um, a coaching relationship. So can you talk a little bit about how you prep maybe some of your clients to, to make sure that they are self-aware of, are you ready for a coaching relationship and what's required of you, your responsibility in this? Right. So it's funny you mentioned that uh, because folks have to apply to get into my coaching program. Right. And so right there on the website, one of the first things it says is this is not for you if you don't (laughs) think you have areas to grow in. This is not for you if you don't do well with accountability. This is Mm -hmm. not for you if you are satisfied with where you are. You know, I think yeah. that's a that's a big one. It is about, you know, you have something that you're trying to get to, something you're striving to, you know, that you have struggled with. Um, and there's some kind of barrier that you're looking to break through. And that is, you know, a great time to partner with the coach. But if it is, you know, if you're thinking I'm good, you know, I'm not really trying to change any of my ways, my habits or any of those kind of things, then coaching might not be, you know, the best thing for you. It's for motivated individuals um, that are really looking to make change and, you know, break through whatever barrier they've been coming up against to reach their goals. Okay. Yeah. So let's say individuals will check all those boxes and they're like, okay, yes, I, I know it's not for me for all these things, but I have concluded that I am I am on the right side of this. So I should be engaging in a, a coaching relationship. There are so many coaches out there, Erica. It feels <laughs> like it was it was kind of this space and discipline that blew mm-hmm. up overnight, right? I think that so many people will assign themselves at, as a coach. And I know that there's a lot of certification programs that really help to decipher um, those that are that have been upskilled to do that work, you know, in a pretty effective way. 
um, from those that may just, you know, consider themselves to be just a good listener. And they say, I, I can coach you. So my point is for someone who is on this journey and they have decided that, yes, I do have the mindset to be able to benefit from having a coaching relationship. What should they be looking for as they are evaluating and vetting the right coach for them? Mm-hmm. So I am, so I'm a, I'm an engineer at heart, right? And so mm-hmm. I want to see data. And yeah. so what I would say is look at look at the person's credentials. I mean, honestly, because I do agree with you. There are, are a lot of people out there that just say, okay, I'm good at this. I'm going to start coaching people. Um, and I don't need to have studied how to be a coach or any of those kind of things. And so I would say one, looking at, you know, have they done any work to study the act of actually coaching? Because you can be good at something or, you know, know something, but it doesn't necessarily mean like you could be a coach, just like just anyone can't be a teacher, right? Right. And so taking the time to invest in your own skills um, as a coach, I think is very, very important. Um, The other thing I would say is looking for someone that aligns with your values. And so, because it's going to be really hard if you two can't come together and match uh, in that space, because, you know, again, this person is going to be a thought partner with you. And so, you know, if you see them, you know, talking about things you don't agree with or, you know, any of those kind of things, I would say that probably isn't the right coach for you. And then the other thing is I will look at their results. Um, And so do you have someone that's trying to be a career coach for you that hasn't been, you know, uh, successful in their career? What kind of things are you looking for that you're trying to achieve? And do you see a coach or can you find a coach that embodies those things? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, Erica, so with your organization, I know that you focus a lot on women from a coaching perspective, and I I certainly want you to help us to understand um, what are the differences? You know, what do you find to be um, really relevant when you're coaching women? Um, that may not necessarily be top of mind as you're just coaching, you know, a a different gender individual. And I'm also curious about when you assign those coaching relationships, maybe it's yourself, maybe it's members of your team. Is it normally a one-to-one or are you going through um, a direct partnership with the employer and then they are helping to provide those connection points? So I know it's a two-part question, but I'm I'm curious Mm -hmm. about both of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would say for, um, so I have coached men, so I, I definitely um, want to say that and and still um, coach some, some men, mm-hmm. but I would say that the place where I see needed the most is mm-hmm. with women. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is really that piece around um, women just inherently have this feeling of, you know, they need to care for others. They want to put mm-hmm. others first. You know, they're thinking about the expectations that um, their family has on them. Um, you know, their parents, you know, want them to be in this career. And so they started it and they just kept going and getting them to break through that and realize you deserve to live the life that you want to live. Mm-hmm. And it's not always going to have make everyone happy. And you can, you know, shift and do the things that you want to do. And you don't have to wait, you know, you know, 15 years until your kids mm-hmm. are um, out of school. I've seen women have breakthroughs in their health mm-hmm. just from making that shift. And like, it is just a pl- area that really, really, you know, just lights me up. 
The other thing um, you asked about was, um, do I partner with individuals um, or organizations? And the answer mm -hmm. is both. And yep. so I have individual clients that, you know, sign up for my coaching program, but I also partner with organizations. So most recently, uh, I've been working with the College for Behavioral Health Leadership um, in their Equity Grounded Leadership Program. And so this is a program that is all about leaders that work in the mental health space or behavioral mm -hmm. health space that are trying to bring equity into those different places. And so I was a coach for multiple fellows that were in that program. And so, you know, my uh, business relationship was with, you know, that organization, but I coached five individuals that were going through that program. And again, being a thought partner with them um, in that one, I did also play a role of, you know, some somewhat of a trainer as well from the EDI mm -hmm. space. Um, but most of it was about their own personal growth. How do I go and make change in these spaces? Um, what are the mindset shifts right. that I need to make to walk into these spaces confidently to try to, you know, push change forward? So it's definitely both. Yeah, I love the fact that part of your practice and, and your coaching centers work of, of equity and inclusion. Can you tell us a little bit deeper about how you like to overlay those really important constructs when you're when you're coaching? Mm -hmm. Well, most of my clients are professionals, um, right? Mm -hmm. And so it could be, you know, someone that is looking to grow, you know, just in their overall leadership. How do they mm -hmm you know, pull together this organization. And so making sure that they are taking the steps to be educated on different areas of, of difference. Um, and yeah. so yeah. how do I be an inclusive leader? And so that means, mm -hmm. again, that I am, you know, understanding, respecting and valuing the differences that people bring. So whether it's the ethnicity, whether it's disabilities, and like I mentioned, like the work style and making sure that people are aware of how do you bring everyone, you know, into the fold and not just, you know, have them in the room, but how, how do I really uh, bring in their contributions and really value them? And I know we mentioned one of the things that I do is I'm a DIS uh, certified mm -hmm. trainer. And so I didn't realize like how big of an impact just, you know, your style and the way that you communicate can really have an impact negatively or positively. Because a lot of times people aren't expecting certain, certain personality or communication styles to come out of certain bodies bodies, right? And so, you know, if they hear an assertive, straightforward, blunt, you know, direct communication style, there's a certain, you know, persona that they see doing that. And if there's someone that they expect to be, you know, more timid, quiet, laid back, etc. There's a certain profile sometimes that people associate with that. And when that doesn't happen, it can cause conflict, it can cause, you know, other issues in the workplace. So making sure that people understand those differences and give them language to talk about it without it being so uncomfortable. 
I love that. And that can be really important, you know, for people to be able to coalesce around a certain language, right, as they're navigating these really difficult conversations. And so I'm glad you went to this because that's where I was going to go next. I wanted to talk a little bit further about how um, the value of a DISC assessment really can um, enhance the coaching relationship. Um, I read in your bio um, at the beginning that as a certified DISC behavior um, analysis trainer, that you incorporate that into your work. And and the importance of how this, as to your point, can amplify that different work styles can be a source of bias in the workplace. And so, and you gave some examples of that. How do we, how do we train for that? How do we help people to um, not allow something that is just so innate about who they are, like their style, their communication style, how they show up? to not be, um, to not create harm because of the bias that could be, you know, ingrained in, in that type of style. Yeah, the DISC assessment really starts with self-awareness, right? And so mm -hmm. once you learn, like, what are the strengths and uh, blind spots sometimes of your own style, you can make adjustments, um, depending on, you know, who you're talking to, because the impact of your communication is going to be land different on different people, right? And so I think that is probably the biggest one, having that self-awareness, because a lot of times it's a big aha moment yeah. for people to hear, like, how they are coming across to others. Like, for instance, I know that I can't, you know, talk the same way I do to my daughter as, you know, with my son. So it's not even just, you know, mm -hmm. in the workplace, it's just overall in your life, being really aware right. of your communication style and how it could land on people. The other piece is we give tools for interacting with the different styles. Mm -hmm. And so, you mm -hmm. know, there's things, you know, if I'm meeting with someone that has a dominant um, personality or communication style, I know that if I have to go present to them, I need to give them the top lines right away. I need to give them, you know, a few pieces of data and let them know what direction we're going. And if you could wrap it up in five minutes, that'd be even greater. But <laughs> if there's someone that um, is um, another personality style, for them, it may be all about the relationship. Can we go and yeah. have a cup of coffee and talk about this? And so it's not that I'm like, you know, getting, walking away from who I am. I'm just adjusting, you know, how I present different things, you know, to those individuals so I can have the overall impact that I want. And so yeah. enabling, um, you know, organizations and the people in those organizations to have those tools can just have a great impact on the overall um, results that a organization can achieve when they're working um, together like that. Yeah, no, I so appreciate that. And you said that it is about really being centered on what is the impact here that I desire, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I amplify that because sometimes people, when they get into conversations around, you know, again, when we hear it being amplified, people want to be able to be their authentic selves. Some mm -hmm. people could say, well, this is my personality. This is how I communicate. So now if I have to shift and do something different, I'm not being authentic. And so that goes against this whole, you know, conversation of inclusion and equity and belonging. But what you just brought to the conversation is we have to keep the main thing, the main thing as well, mm -hmm. right? It's not like an either yeah. or, but it is what is the ultimate 
output and impact that I'm seeking. And if that means mm -hmm. that I have to be a little fluid, it doesn't mean that I'm no longer being true to who I am. It just means that I'm also taking into consideration that there are others um, who are different from me. And as I am coexisting in society with other people, I have exactly. to be cognizant of that. Yeah. And shift mm -hmm. and modify where needed. So mm -hmm. I love that. Well, yeah, I, and I, I think yeah, I was just going to say definitely and reflecting on how you want people to treat you, right? Because, right. you know, you don't want them to treat you like they treat everyone else because you're an individual. And so it's all, it's really about, you know, that impact. Um, and wow. as well as it's a way to build connection, right? Because if you it can is. communicate with someone um, in a way where they hear it and it lands, it also, you know, builds connection as well. Yeah, exactly. And I think it takes a good bit of um, being upskilled around um, EQ, that emotional intelligence, right? Because the examples that you were given really resonate with me. Sometimes, you know, there are relationships that I have um, where I am an in and out, I'm an in and out person, right? Let's be direct. Let's get to it. Let's get it done. But then there are others where I really know, okay, I have to slow this down. Mm -hmm. I have to really make sure that I am kind of taking a step back outside of what my normal tendencies are and just kind of sit and be present and show up. And, you know, all the pleasantries mm -hmm. and all the other things that may not be just <laughs> as, as, as natural when you're kind of moving really fast. But I think that's the beauty of um, of diversity is mm -hmm. that it causes us to to slow down a bit and to appreciate mm -hmm. and value um, the difference that, you know, others may have. Um, and so I, I really do appreciate this conversation. Um, I have lots more questions for Erica, but I do want to give this audience the opportunity to ask your questions as well. And so I'm going to go to another question, but I do want you all to take a moment to think about if there's something you like to contribute or a question that you have for Erica. You can let us know that by using the raise hand feature if you're a part of this live uh, broadcast community. Um, and that lets me know that you're willing to be spotlighted. So I will allow you to unmute yourself and I'll bring you to the conversation. And then um, if you, you know, desire to just have your question to be presented on your behalf, then you can go to chat. We'll make sure that we present that on your behalf. And so I was going to go to another question, but I already see a hand raise. And so I don't want to deny this person. Um, and he is a frequent um, participant in our broadcast community. So Linvor, welcome, my friend. I'm adding you as a spotlight. It's good to see you. I'm going to let you go ahead and jump in and get your question or commentary in. Great. Good to see you and everyone today as well and my fellow Detroiter, but I'm a Michigan State man. That's the only difference. <laughs> Other man, Won't good. hold it against you. <laughs> yes, likewise. I put my, my question in the chat, but you had mentioned affinity groups earlier doing your undergraduate career, I'm assuming, as you were in the, the College of Engineering. My question is how, how similar or different are the affinity groups from your college years compared to your workplace? If you could share that, that would be great. Yeah, so I think the um, the one of the biggest things with the affinity groups now in the workplace is the impact that we strive to have. Um, and so, and you know, when I was in college, you know, we learned a lot. We took information um, and things like that to try to enable us to be great once we got to the workplace. But now, you know, a lot of times these affinity groups are affecting policy change. And so we are trying to make sure that, you know, there are systems in place that remove bias at all different parts of the employee journey. So whether it is, you know, recruiting, bringing people in, 
How are we making sure that people get the right assignments, et cetera? And we have, you know, leaders, um, critical leaders that are part of these affinity groups, as well as um, um, different sponsorships and things like that to make sure that we are having the impact, you know, so we're trying to change the culture and trajectory of an entire company um, for years to come um, is, you know, really how we're thinking about it. And so I would say that's probably one of the biggest, biggest differences. Um, when I was in college, I honestly was thinking about, you know, the here, the now, um, getting, you know, training, um, taking. I wasn't, I probably should have been, but I wasn't, you know, necessarily thinking about um, changing, you know, policy and all those different kind of things. Thanks so much, Lynn Hoy. Appreciate you, you presenting your question. Um, and I think it's I think it's important to consider sustainability, right? Um, of the impacts that we're trying to create. And so I love the fact that you you brought that to the conversation. You know, I'm I'm often discouraged by the lack of stick to itness that some organizations may may have and apply to this work. Endurance is part of that journey. And so um, I'm glad that you know through this conversation, a Lynn Roy question we get a chance to amplify that so I yeah see a lot that of times we could have and now I was just going to say a lot of times organizations can have amazing um, results in the area of DEI but a lot of times it could also come from one or two leaders right yeah. because they are in the room but the real question is what happens when they're not in the room and do oh, you have the systems and processes to still keep those um, systems alive when they are not in the room Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. This work belongs to all of us. And so to your point, if the person who actually carries the title of chief diversity officer, manager, director um, transitions from the organization, right. is the work going with it or has it been fully seated and institutionalized and operationalized to where it can keep going? Because that that's that's critically important. So Kelsey has her hand raised, Kelsey, but you're not on camera, but I'm happy to spotlight you if you want. Okay, there you go. Gonna add you to the spotlight. Welcome, thanks for being here. Thank you all for having me. Um, I'm coming from Northeast Tennessee um, and I am in the nonprofit sector. So a little bit different of structure um, from engineering, but we host our home, my hometown holds one of the largest engineering chemical companies. I think in the globe, to be honest with you, we're home of Eastman Chemical Company. So um, in my nonprofit space, I work with a lot of engineers and volunteers from that space. So um, my question, though, is, like I said, I'm in Northeast Tennessee, so it's a small region. Um, we are not a very diverse town. I would say 7% um, mm -hmm. people of color, and that includes... Um, Asian Pacific Islander, Latinx, Black, Native American, et cetera. Um, one of the biggest issues that I'm finding is within my DEI work, I don't want to say resistance, but I feel sometimes people are tired of hearing DEI or they're tired of talking about how to retain and recruit and people should just want to stay in our area because it's a great area, mm. which I understand. But as a minority myself growing up in this area, there's not a lot of attraction. And so I guess, how do you combat that within the workspace? Like, how do you combat the 
nonchalantness of taking on the DEI work? Well, I think a lot, um, a lot of, again, going back to those engineering roots, like it comes down to, for me, like, what does the data say? And like, what is the goal that we're trying to achieve? Um, and what is our journey and glide path to get there? So, you know, because we can say we want to have, you know, this kind of representation in five years. And, you know, you could have people that won't put any action towards. So what are the building blocks that you're going to use um, to get there? And so I think sometimes that can take, because uh, sometimes people can separate things if it's, if we look at the numbers and it's like, okay, I have to achieve, you know, these numbers, but how do we make it where it's a place um, that, you know, people want to be? Because it could also just be about how do we make our, you know, city or area more welcoming? How do we make it where this is the place that, you know, talent wants to come? Um, and so you can change it away from, you know, specifically DNI, but what are the things that, you know, we want to be known for as well? So thinking about all those different kind of aspects and then, you know, really coming together and say, okay, what is the plan to do this? Part of it could be we have an onboarding program for, you know, multicultural talent that comes to the area. How do we make them feel a part of, you know, this region? You know, what are the things we want them to connect on and put roots down, um, you know, in this area? Because the more you have there, then you're going to attract. And then do we have, you know, those big companies bringing in multicultural talent? Because that's really how you're going to get them there and, you know, get them to stay there is, you know, they're coming there for jobs and having a big impact. And it's, and I'm not just talking entry level, right? <laughs> so, you know, bringing those people into the community to um, help have that impact as well as draw for other multicultural talent. Yeah, that is such an important question, Kelsey. So thank you. And Erica, I do agree. It, it's all about um, being able to focus on the value of, of caring to the point to where you move to action to then try to create greater level of representation within that market, because that's going to drive industry, right? And so you talked about this really big engineering employer. Um, I would be surprised if they aren't also... Um, you know, being a big influencer of, hey, we want to be able to attract the best talent. And in order to do that, we have to make sure that physically, geographically, this area is seen as one where multicultural talent will want to come and thrive and to raise their families, right? And so if our area is not conducive for that and welcoming to that, then um, we are certainly compromising our ability to attract the best talent. And so that's something that I tend to see um, carry a lot of weight in those geographies that um, without you know, very intentional efforts are not just attracting um, really good representation. So thank you for being here, Kelsey. Thank you all. Okay, so I'm gonna um, keep going. Let me look into the chat to see if we have um, another question. If not, I wanna ask you about your mastermind um, opportunity that you have coming up, because I'm sure this audience will be familiar, um, will want to be familiar with that. Um, so let's see. 
Okay, no. Okay, so keep those questions coming. If you have a question that you want me to present on your behalf, place it into the chat. So why don't you tell us about this mastermind um, opportunity that you um, have developed and how people can get involved in? I believe it's going to be um, available starting in March. And so give us the ins and outs of this program. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So this is, I, I, I call it the dream big mastermind. And so it's really, it's a six week, co I have a six week cohort, you, usually of about 10 individuals, um, where we go through like, what are the 10 areas that you really need to master to achieve your dreams? And so, you know, just a couple of them are, you know, one, getting clarity on what it is that you're trying to achieve, you know, in your career or, you know, in your life. And then two, really looking at the ownership. So is this your own dream or is this someone else's dream that you're going mm. after? And mm. then, you know, what is the cost of that dream? You know, because you can't always have everything, right? And so there may right. be some things that you need to give up um, to, you know, achieve that dream. Um, another one is, um, is your dream like based in reality? You know, mm -hmm. so I could say I want to go off and be a ballerina, right? <laughs> and, but, you know, having self-awareness, like, is this something, is this something that aligns with your strengths? Because if it is something that is really big, it's going to, you know, have to be something that aligns with your strength areas. Um, and wow. then um, going back to that dream piece, like, is this something that motivates and inspires you to keep going when it gets hard? Mm -hmm. And so we come together, we, we, we will meet um, weekly over Zoom um, and go through the curriculum to, um, to go through that over the six weeks. And, you know, it's, it's a great, great experience, a place where you can come together with other folks, be vulnerable, share. Um, as well as have accountability for taking those steps forward. No, I love that. And so, you know, what I love about it is that it's also providing a bit of um, of reality check through that self-awareness, mm -hmm. you know, those prompts to make sure people are being self-reflective about how, what is, what is counting the cost look like for me to get what I want most for me to really accomplish that dream. And then you also mentioned, um, you know, sentiments of the stick to witness factor, you know, right? mm -hmm. what are, what are you digging your heels into? Make sure you're very familiar with what that looks like so that you can endure that process. And so great. And, um, we will place information into the chat for how people can connect with you if they wish to, um, learn more and even sign up for that. Um, so there is a question from joy from this podcast community. And her question is this, if I'm not in leadership, but more of an individual contributor, um, what are some key things I can do to support DEI? Important question. Thank you, Joy. Absolutely. And what I would say is we're all leaders. Um, I think um, sometimes we get caught up in, you know, position and titles and things like that. But you lead by, you know, the actions and the things that you do every single day. Right. And so, you know, um, the piece around DEI is, um, I would ask, are you helping to provide and build a more inclusive workplace? Um, especially if we're talking specifically about, about the workplace and, you know, if you're in a meeting, are you making sure and helping make sure that all voices are heard, all different perspectives are, you know, being, being brought up at the table, um, are you having conversations with people that are different from you? You know, I think that's a, that's a small one um, that people kind of overlook, but, you know, part of having an inclusive workplace is getting to know people that are different from you, 
um, learning about them, building connection, then building those relationships. Um, like what is the smell of the place when you walk in there? or the feel of the place when you walk right. into, you know, the office and how are you helping to contribute and, you know, make it a better place? Absolutely. Okay. So another question, how do you maintain passion and motivation for doing this impactful work, Erica? Yeah, um, definitely. That kind of goes back to like, what is my overall, you know, goal? Um, you know, I want people to feel comfortable being their authentic self because I have been in a place before where I was in an environment where I felt like I couldn't and you know just to know like the toll that that can take on and have on people um you know is it is something that I want to be a part of you know conquering and so that's the thing that motivates me you know especially I think about my children and like, you know, what environments do I want them to be in? You know, I want them to be able to use their voice, have impact and all of those things. And so that is kind of the thing that keeps me going because let's say, uh, let's be really clear, DEI work is not for the weary. So <laughs> it, it, it is not for the weary because there will always be something um, that comes up. And so, you know, I'm, I'm happy to uh, partner, you know, with other uh, strong individuals like Dr. Nika White, you know, <laughs> on this journey as we try to do this. Okay, I'm gonna try to squeeze another one in. Where are the best places to begin targeting from a BRG standpoint to impact DEI, pay and access to opportunity for change? The best way to start, I think first um, is understanding like where you are, right? And so where are you currently, you know, in your organization um, from a, you know, representation standpoint, um, doing surveys to find out about the feel of the place, um, as well as, you know, understanding do folks feel supported and things like that, so that you can see where are the specific areas that you want to work on. Because uh, the DEI space is so big um, that it can be hard to narrow down on what is, what are the, you know, clear things that we want to go off and accomplish. And so, figuring out what is one key area that I'm going to have a substantial, you know, impact on um, to start with that'll have the greatest impact, you know, later on, I think is one of the biggest things. You know, when I started one of my um, E&I roles, the big thing that I needed to do was have foundational understanding um, for the organization of what unconscious bias was. You know, it wasn't, I was starting with some big fancy, you know, um, program. It was people really needed to understand what unconscious bias was. And that alone made a shift in how people had conversations, um, how they thought about staffing, how they thought about recruiting. So I think, you know, doing an assessment of where you are and where the organization is and thinking about, you know, what is one thing that I can have that will have a great impact could be a place to start. Erica, we do like to always ask our co-hosts to leave us with maybe your final thoughts or a summary of today's conversation, anything that you want to impart on our um, podcast community before we let you go. Absolutely. Well, I'll just close with saying thank you. Thank you to Dr. Anita White uh, for the um, 
for the opportunity to come and share with you all. Uh, the one thing that I would leave people with is one, um, you deserve to live the life of your dreams and make sure that you are taking steps towards achieving it every single day. Thanks. I love that. Well, thank you so much. This conversation has been so impactful, just amazing. Thank you for joining us. And as always, thank you to our podcast community. I hope you guys have an amazing weekend. We'll see you all next week. Thank you. Bye-bye.